This is season one, episode one of I Say That podcast interview with Shelly DeVries. And we're joined today by Shelly DeVries, an experienced infection control officer with a background in hospital and molecular epidemiology. She's been an active AVA member for six years, a member of, Associ- uh, of the Association for Professionals in Infection Control, APIC, our friends, for 22 years. And she joins us today from Cherville, Indiana, the pearl of the Hoosier State. Shelly, how are you? <laughs> hi, Ramsey. Hi, Judy. Hi, Eric. I am hi, fantastic. I'm so thrilled to be connecting with you guys for this. We're happy to have you on. So excited. Shelly, every time I open an email these days, I see your name. You are a popular girl. <laughs> Love having you. Thanks, Judy. And you're well suited to to handle the gravity of being the very first guest on the I Save That podcast. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling the pressure. Oof, no, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> this no pressure. is uh, for for listeners. Uh, Shelly and I have crossed paths uh, over the years, and even though we're both you know Americans and we live you know just a few states away from each other, I once found myself in the neighborhood uh, where Shelly was when I was doing some work in Dubai in United Arab Emirates, and she was just like a quick hop over in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is a, is a very interesting country to, to go work in. And I, I always remember uh, our experience of trying to connect while we were there, uh, while you were doing your roadshow. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be representing vascular access infection control and doing uh, your rounds in the kingdom? Yeah, thanks, Ramsey. That was absolutely amazing. A few years back, I had an opportunity to be part of some vascular access conferences in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, and it was my first time traveling to the Middle East and having a chance to have these conversations. And I went in with really no understanding of what to expect other than everything that had been portrayed in the media, and I was met and greeted with the most graciousness and open arms and people yearning to learn. It was one of the best experiences I've had. My biggest regret is probably not diving the Red Sea. Um, but other than that, I cannot speak highly enough about the experience I had over there sharing everything we're doing to promote patient safety and vascular access. Yeah, it's they're starved for education. Um, the, the appetite there for what we do and what you do um, is through the roof. And would love to get the bandwidth to, to address that appetite in, in the near future. Absolutely. I'd love to hear more about it at another time as well. Yeah. But we have some questions for you. Judy's going to dive in. I'm going to dive in right now. So, Shelly, collaboration around disciplines. So, Ava's multidisciplinary, and you're an epidemiologist by trade. So, how do you see this working? I know you've been entrenched in our organization. Thank goodness, we love having you. But how do you? How do we get bigger breadth and depth in this? You know, honestly, my first Ava conference rocked my world. And I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you guys. For years, I've been involved, and I still am, primarily as an infection preventionist, to my local and regional and national conferences. And I'm surrounded by other infection preventionists, which is a wonderful way to share information. But when I went to AVA for the first time, and I looked around the room, and I was surrounded by clinicians of literally every flavor all working to improve patient safety and outcomes around vascular access, I was floored by just how much we could achieve by working together. I mean, it's a a stereotype where we say we shouldn't work in silos. True. But sitting there at at AVA, whether it's a local meeting or the national, and realizing it's, it's all of us working together, no matter what our initials are, no matter what our background are, 
in the mountains that we've been able to move together is unlike anything I've experienced truly in any other organizational collaboration. So personally, I would love to see more of my peers in infection prevention and hospital epidemiology showing up and being actively engaged in AVA through all its multiple levels. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more, actually. There are hospitals that are ahead of this. I mean, there's, there are some where vascular access and epidemiology are the same department. So yeah. colleagues, with, they, they sit in the same meetings together, um, and they have the same boss. Absolutely. It's all tied together. That would be... Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's really... Um, that's an ideal world. Instead of having teams report to people that have no idea what the vascular access challenges are, and they just report up to people that are not engaged, not passionate about what we do. So I agree with you about Ava, and I get excited when I go as well, which is really fun. I'm going to Ava. And I think, Judy, you've had some of the same experiences as me. I can speak a lot of the same experience, but I can speak for my local infection prevention and vascular access groups. We have had collaborative meetings with our infection preventionists and with our, our local Kaivan chapter where we're all meeting together and talking about the same topics. And certainly there are a number of infection preventionists who are very active in their local AVA chapters. And I know you two have attended a number of the APIC chapters Absolutely. to really cross-pollinate and, and share our information. Mm -hmm. And we actually, uh, this year for the AVA board, we actually we brought in an infection preventionist. Yeah. Because we did How cool is that? It's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. I may be biased, but... I'm very biased. <laughs> I'm very biased. We need to be tied at the hip. Vascular access and infection prevention are in the same family. It's crazy no, not no. to be tied at the hip. I talked last year about creating a special interest group with Ava for infection prevention, and I got pushback, Shelley, not because it was a bad idea, but because uh, the pushback was infection prevention should be the bedrock of every special interest group we do. It shouldn't be its own. I would agree. I think the two are inseparable, and I think they have to be. So I, I, I congratulate whoever gave you the pushback on that idea. <laughs> Probably you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't, but I could see Shelley doing it in a very delicate and, and teachable moment kind of way for me. I know you do some pretty novel things within your own practice clinically. And one of them, you, you coined plastic rounds. And I'm so intrigued. Can you tell me more about it? Oh my gosh, yeah. I am blessed at my organization to have an absolutely dynamic team, both my infection prevention team as well as our vascular access team, and a, a, a leadership who is open to letting us try things. Instead of being on the merry-go-round, we really are trying to get our journey to zero. And so one of my partners and I established what we call plastic rounds. And we didn't make up the term. We heard it from someone else. There's a publication in AJIC a number of years ago about plastic in patients. But as we've interpreted it, when we go around and we, we round on our patients, a look at every indwelling device they have, that includes vascular and non-vascular devices, and we're talking to the bedside staff as much as we can about why is, what is it being used for, what's its plan, when's it coming out, hmm. what are you using it for? And then we're evaluating the actual device in the patient for all of the basic process measures. We're sometimes looking at the charting with, in our institution, it's nurses, but with a bedside provider to really understand how can we optimize the care and maintenance of that device and understanding possible about how bedside staff are fully engaged in what's going on with device management. And it's been really exciting. It's a totally different way from historically, but I have the benefit on my, on my team. One of my peers is a 
doctor of nurse, nurse specialist, nursing professor. So she brings so much into these conversations. And we've certainly engaged our other specialists, like our vascular access team, like our professional education department, to help us lead these conversations. But it's been a very very cool thing and we actually have expanded that if i can continue a little bit please we introduced process measures throughout the organization last fall so we have my team and vascular access our professional development and our bedside staff in vascular access devices every month we have over 2,000 observations of those key prevention strategies so our dressings and our tubing and our our caps and our sponge dressings and, and our uh, tegoderm dressings to see how we're doing. And we could aggregate that data by device type, by unit, and across the organization to see where our performance opportunities are. Our hope is that we can prevent infections instead of just chasing. And after that was so successful, we went one step further and we're doing what I have been calling our vascular access jamboree. And I actually, <laughs> I will say I got that term from a clinician down in Kansas City. I also didn't make that one up. But every, every month we're inviting our vendor partners with us. So we have a central line team and a peripheral line team and our reps and our clinical support. And sometimes our actually our engineers from the companies we work with are coming in and rounding collaboratively with the clinicians in my hospital at the bedside, looking at what's going on with our patients and strategizing how we could best make use of every device we're putting in our patients to drive the outcomes that we're also desperate to get because we do a bundle. And ultimately we're all gonna succeed together, the hospital without complications, or everything's gonna fail together and we're gonna have an adverse event. So it's been really new and different to get us all in the sandbox together. And sometimes we're working with groups that have been historically competitive. Right. Yeah. But My House, My Rules had nothing but fantastic feedback um, for the whole process, both from our staff and from our folks that we invite in to join us. So it's been a lot of fun to see how many eyes we could get on devices to help improve our outcomes for our patients. Tell me what the patients think of it. So honestly, our patients, we always we always ask their permission to come in and take a look at them and we get their consent. And we limit the conversations at the bedside to what's appropriate. But we explain what we're doing and we get a lot of smiles and a lot of thank yous as we talk through their system from their vein device and every bag that's hanging on them and talk about what we're doing and why it's there. So that's awesome. Our feedback yeah. has been very positive. And there's only been a couple patients who have declined to have us come in the room. And I can understand that because sometimes it's overwhelming <laughs> to have a large group of people at your bedside. Yeah. But uh, honestly, the patients and their families have been very engaged in the process. Healthcare literacy, such a gap. That's crazy. Yeah. That is awesome. I, I commend Thanks. you for pushing and kind of passing up the status quo. You should come join us. I will. I will. Absolutely. I would love to come hang out for a day. That would be so much fun. So a couple more questions for you, if, if that's still okay. Absolutely. We both love to talk. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so um, infection control involvement at AVA. So we, we have kind of um, grabbed a couple of you guys, and we have you at the heart of AVA as well. But how do we get more so we can blow the lid off of patient safety? 
question, Judy. I think raising awareness with that everything is a starting point. Making sure all of our infection preventionists understand that is not an exclusive organization. We're inclusive. And so as an infection preventionist, you're not somebody on the side. You're not uh, um, adjunct member or an associate. You're fully at the table with equal standing to every other discipline that's there. So we're not an add-on. We really are part of the heart of vascular access. And I think just just helping my peers understand that we're part of AVA. We are fully part of AVA and welcomed to be there. And I think we could start by showing up at their meetings, by coming to our APIC meetings and promoting or cross-promoting what's going on their access meetings. So many, at least of the programs I'm able to participate in, is content that's shared among both of our organizations. So getting us together, just talk, I think it goes so far, but honestly, just raising that initial awareness that we are. You, you are, Ava. Yeah. It's not, you're not at a part of, but you are. I, infection controllers are us. They are us. Yeah. But, I mean, to your point, I've been going to my San Diego chapter meetings of APEC, and I learned so much. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it there. But a huge part of my membership for my San Diego Vascular Access Network is actually my APIC folks. So I'm hugely appreciative of that. Because it makes us so much stronger. It's the model. You know, and this, this isn't a gotcha question. The, the segment of our multidisciplinary membership that gets it, that gets what you're preaching, going to both APIC and AVA meetings or being involved in infection control and vascular access, do you know what segment probably has the highest amount of participation in both? It's, it's industry sales reps. Oh my gosh, you're right. They're, they're all over both. I was, I've been a member of both uh, in my industry days. Right. Um, they see that it makes, because honestly, that makes a lot of sense because they, they do have to bridge us both and they have to navigate the minefields <laughs> True. of both of our offices. Your call points for them, you're both call points for them, but if you work that backwards, you're both call points because you're both decision makers. You're both invested in the patient outcome relative to reducing the likelihood of infection or the complication of the device. So they need you both at the table, which means you should be at each other's tables. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, Ramsey, that's having the opportunity to go out and work with so many chapters from both groups. A lot of times we are inviting each other to our meetings, even if we're not formal members. It's a meet and greet and it's a shared conversation and the decisions and the brainstorming and, and honestly the magic that happened around the table. It is truly like nothing I've ever seen. Um, it's good stuff. It is. It's a healthy ecosystem for conversation and, and learning new things. Versus talking to each other about stuff you all agree with already. Singing to the choir doesn't get us very far. <laughs> right. We have to get some people that are off tune like you and I. Well, you're not. I am. Did you say we're out of tune? No, I didn't. <laughs> we're totally, we're, we sing like no other. And I can say that. Well, um, I'm going to go on. So I have one last question for you before you go. Um, you're, absolute, you're absolutely a data geek, and I love that about you. But give me some thoughts on how you tackle data collection and vascular accident. What is your dream scenario? Ooh, that's a loaded question, Judy. Yeah, on purpose. Uh, my dream, my brother, is to make it comes across all vascular access devices mandatory. If we can stop treating 
central lines is the only device that matters for our patients and allow us to capture not just but our complication rates across every device in our hospital we've been working on in my hospital we've always done infections but now i can tell you my complication rates across every device our vascular access team places and by leveraging that data we can advocate truly for the right device for the patient not just based on standards and guidelines and literature which are great but what's falls in our patients with our inserters with our care and maintenance so standardizing our data collection across every device and then standardizing it across organizations so we can truly benchmark learn from each other and ultimately benefit the patient that would be my happy place that uh i'm familiar with some of your work shelly where you elevated or changed the standard of catheter care for peripheral IVs, and as a result of that, your central line infection rate was impacted, to your point about Yeah, abso- absolutely, and thank you for that, Ramsey. We, we definitely had a temporal association as we improved care of our peripheral lines and our outcomes with our peripheral lines. There was a um, temporal association with a decrease in our ICU collapses, absolutely. And if I may do a shameless plug, I actually have a breakout, a power hour at National AVA this year talking about collection and surveillance across all of our vascular access devices. I'll share the tools I use in my organization and some tips on how we got there because it's something I've been involved in my whole career. Part or an electronic medical record, we found ways to get it done in really an efficient manner and, and to create that meaningful data to lead the conversations to leverage the outcomes. Yeah, that's your session in Columbus at the AVA scientific meeting in September is not the most important reason to come to Columbus. It's in the top thousand. It's probably in the top five. (laughs) There's such a long list. (laughs) I need to, I need to make sure everyone understands that it's a VI. It's a cast of thousand VIPs of which you are on the marquee. Pretty high. Very high. That's the amazing thing about AVA. There are so many brilliant things and brilliant people trying to find a way to do it all. It's, it's like a kid in a candy store. It's fun. You, the people you read up on, you read their research, and then you're having tacos with them at lunch. That's it's, true. Oh, it's, it's, you're, you're rubbing elbows. I'm going to – I need to, Judy, first of all, she, she, didn't, she wasn't truthful. She has another question for you. Um, but I have, a, I have a part B question to her previous final question. You talked about um, data collection, the happy place for you and treating vascular access devices with similar uh, vigilance and urgency. Um, that's, a, that's a happy place. That's what I would call a what. Um, the, the harder question is, how do you do that? There's a, for every what, there's a how. How do you, how do you maintain a level of, uh, of data collection that's got, that, you know, it's not a garbage in, garbage out scenario. You're actually getting good, valuable, actionable data out of the kind of data collection you're talking about having in your happy place. I think a lot of it is gaining the understanding of the power of the numbers. When we've worked with organizations who have never been empowered by data and we were maybe task-oriented or just getting through the day, where I think I've had great success is not just collecting data and being a bean count and a bee, but showing people how having that data can lead the conversations to make the difference for our patients. And so in my organization, as long as I've been in my organizations, we've done surveillance for bloodstream infections across all devices because I never allowed there to be an option not to. Mm -hmm. 
But over the last couple of years, when CDC does their annual training on the NHSN modules, they actually talk about doing surveillance in a manner kind of similar to what I do, where when we're talking about bloodstream infections, many IPs, infection preventionists, will first look to see if the patient has a central line when they have a positive blood culture. And if there's no central line, they, they don't pass go, they just stop. And what, to my mind, the CDC has encouraged over the last couple of years is actually treating the blood culture as your starting point, determining if the patient has a bloodstream infection, and only then looking to see what kind of lines the patient has. So really standardizing our collection there is very much a that all CDC has leaned toward, in my interpretation of their last couple of years of training. And as far as the other complications, what we did originally is we did a study. Myself and one of our vascular actors, every midline the team had placed in their first year of using them. And we came up with these incredibly powerful numbers where we can say occlusion rates and infiltration rates and dislodgement rates and, and you know, fill in all your favorite things or least favorite things. Looked at them and we said, well, wow, that's interesting. But what about our picks? What about our peripherals? And we kind of played the why game. And from there, we went back and did the same thing for those other devices. And now our vascular access team prospectively follows every line they place. Wow. The day the patient can review the chart to see at what point the patient was discharged, they go back to see the final disposition of that line. So our vascular access team is now fully engaged in collecting that data so they know what's going on with the patients and the lines they've placed. And we helped them out a little bit and created auto-generating, uh, auto auto-calculating spreadsheets for them. Oh, so that's they, nice. Across their pick lines by the number of lumens, across their midlines by which brand they place, they can see the data in aggregate in real time, as real time as they enter it for each month. And then they can use those numbers to empower themselves in their conversations with our medical staff, with their other nurses, with our leadership, because they know exactly what's going on. So it took us collecting the data for them originally, but then teaching them how they can use it. And we now have, I'd say, a fully engaged team. Um, kind of a long-winded answer, but that's how we went about it. Yeah, the, the how is always the longer part of the, of the what and how. Uh, and stop deal. rolling your eyes. Not at all. You're still, your team is ahead of the game and really some, a team to, to look at to try to model well, and, after. And, but and I, Judy, I do always think it's important though to acknowledge, I work in a community hospital. I work in Gary, Anda, Gary, Indiana in a large community hospital, but that's what we are. We're a community hospital. And if we can accomplish it, with some of the challenges we've had in the practice setting we are, there's really no reason why others who aren't, who are interested can't achieve it. It's time, investing the time and having the passion and you have it. So thanks on that. But I do have one more question for you. Last, last. Yes, I have to. Last, last kind of sort of question. So just in your brain, we, we know that uh, PIV goes into the peripheral circulation. So why do we care as much? so loaded. Oh, that's not fair. Stop rolling your eyes, Shelly. Because yeah. we, know, we know we put a catheter right next to the valve of a heart, or right in at the cable weight trail, right atrium. So that's much more likely to hurt a patient, right? You know, this is something that has never made sense to me. And I will be me honest, either. from the very first hospital I stepped foot in, 
across all devices because I never understood why a central line mattered, but another device didn't. And in that same mindset for so long, we only monitored our ICU patients and it didn't matter what happened when you were outside Seriously, the right? Mm-hmm. One bloodstream. There and you go. Any access to it can cause tremendous harm. And since you mentioned peripherals, and I may have a little bit of passion around that, the data that's been coming out lately really supports the the thought that every line matters. And if you look at Leonard Rimmel published one in three hospital acquired staph aureus bloodstream infections from vascular peripherals, that's crazy. It is. How it can is. we not look? How can we not care? Because if we measure it, we can do better if we understand what's going on. So now you got me off on a tangent. I know, sorry. I, I threw you a layup. I had to because it drives me insane that we talk about central lines day in and day out. And it's a circulatory system. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I routinely... Well, I think... What's that? You're good. Sorry. No, I was just going to say your friend of mine, Russ Nassoff, has, has brought up the very common sense point that we call it the peripheral. True. So maybe if it wasn't a peripheral line, maybe if it was the primary line, I agree. people would get behind. Russ, I think we really rename our whole vascular system, but I am with him in his thinking that it's been, we've been told it's inconsequential. And for so long, I think people didn't look because they were told there's no risk. Right. We now not, not true. And it's just changes slow, but I won't stop until every line is given the respect it deserves. I'm with you. That's what we need. The, you remind me of uh, something I, I remember hearing a while back, talking about being da- the danger of living in a city. And the, the person I was talking to, the individual said, you know, 40% of all violent crime happens in, in the city. Like, yeah, where, do you, where, where does the other <laughs> 60% happen then? <laughs> in the suburbs. <laughs> That's, it's, it, it's not a safe place. They're, they're, this, the, the circulatory system is circulatory. Peripheral IVs are not safe. Uh, just like central lines are not. And, and I think there's even a broader point, not just renaming peripheral uh, IVs, but it's you don't want to know what's there so you don't look. And if you look, then yeah, well, you're, you you're afraid of what you see because then now yeah. you're accountable. True. So and, This has been so Ramsey, fun. That's what I say. The ego is not to look, but that is not in our patient's best interest, and they, they deserve better. Yeah. You're not kidding. She is Shelly DeVries. Uh, infection prevention has a voice, a strong voice at Ava. We'd like to see more of them. Um, Shelly, thank you for joining us today. And now everyone who follows you has to follow your lead as the first ever guest interview on the I Save That podcast. Absolutely. Hard awesome. hard act to follow. Yeah. Way to set the bar high. Yeah. Oof. Thanks, Shelly. All right. Thanks, thank Shelly. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks. You too.